0: Hey everyone, it's me, Ben, and I need to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash nerdistwriters for a free audiobook download. They've got all kinds of terrific audiobooks for your listening pleasure, uh, including, here are some, that are apropos to today's podcast. Uh, the Tencent Plague, The Great Comic Book Scare and How It Changed America by David Hajdu, um, is a really cool book about, you know, the... Pretty much what it says it is. Uh, this book was released in, I want to say, the 50s, and uh, it told everyone that if kids read comic books, they will be ruined and turn against uh, the adults and we will all live in a dystopian future. Um, anyway, it's a fascinating book. It's worth downloading. Another great one on here uh, is called Comic Books Indie and Beyond, which was recorded at the 2010 Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. Uh, and it's got Mike Mignola and Simon Oliver and uh, our friend Ed Brubaker, who appears on today's podcast. Um, once again, it's called Comic Books, Indian and Beyond. It's from the L.A. Times Festival of Books. It's a cool discussion about just the state of the industry uh, a couple of years ago, which is, you know, still in a lot of ways holds true. Uh, so those are two recommendations for you. Go to Audible com. That's audiblepodcast.com slash nerdist for a free audiobook download. Hope you enjoy it. And now, here is this very special Nerdist writers panel in celebration of the San Diego Comic Con, which begins today.
1: Now entering nerdist.com.
2: It's the Nerdist writers panel on the Nerdist podcast channel. Ben Blacker talking, writing with writers.
3: Writer's talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely well,
2: frightening. writing. Blacker talking
0: writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on a 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Having gotten his start writing for the Tick comic books, Our first panelists then worked for the animated series as well as other cartoons. Having come up with the concept for the series years earlier with Doc Hammer, he is the creator, writer, editor, director, and producer of the Venture Brothers. As well, yes, you're right. As well as several uh, voices on the show. Please welcome Jackson Public. Hi. In comics, our next panelist has written Batman Sleeper Gotham Central. He revamped Catwoman with Darwin Cook and brought depth and relevance to Captain America. He's currently working on a number of stories in a number of different media, uh, which he'll tell you all about. Welcome, Ed Brubaker.
2: Depth and relevance.
0: It got me interested That's that's my middle name I'm a tough sell and it got me interested And death as well But also whatever the opposite of death is This is
2: like the porn version (laughs) I want depth and relevance
0: No, (laughs) but not read that Girth and Yeah, (laughs) please Since the late 1960s As a writer or editor Our final panelist has had a hand in every major comic book character That you know and love Uh, He co-created Wolverine, Swamp Thing, The Human Target, Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, Lucius Fog, Clayface 3, and many, many, many more other characters. Uh, He made Batman fight the Hulk one time. (laughs) Uh, He was the editor on Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen, has written numerous animated programs, and has been inducted to the Comic Book Hall of Fame. Welcome Len Wein. Thank you for being here, guys. Um, let's let's get right to it. Oh boy! Um, I want to hear about. Listen, Len. Y-
4: yes, I did. The, it.
0: the internet's been lighting up about this Watchmen thing.
4: There's a Watchmen thing.
0: There's a Watchmen thing. <laughs> Um, There's this deluxe edition
4: of Watchmen. It's, <laughs> yeah,
2: a, yeah. it's $100. It's really an outrage. It's a
0: little pricey. <laughs> um, it's
2: got the whole proposal let's proposal.
0: <laughs> tell us about uh, this new Watchmen kind of expanded universe thing that's going on, what your involvement is, what was going on behind the scenes to finally make this happen. Because I know it's been talked
4: about for years, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It has for almost since the beginning. Yeah. The op- you know, Alan was constantly offered the opportunity to do more Watchmen stories if he wanted to. Uh, at first, he was enthusiastic at the thought. Then he started hating the movies being made from his work. So he decided he wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, Did he understand that the more comic books were not movies? No. He, you know, you have to under, if you've ever met Alan, you'll understand. Really? Yes. Alan is, is incredibly talented, but... Alan, I like to refer to as someone I would not want to be trapped in an elevator with. <laughs> uh, it just got odder and odder, And eventually Paul Levitz, who didn't want to make any more waves than Alan was already making, said, just, just don't do it. Stop. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone. And then Paul moved on. Mm-hmm. And the Dan DeDio and Jim Lee, whose job it is to make money for the company, said, this is silly. Here is a <laughs> property That will make us money no matter what we do. We should be doing something with it. Mm -hmm. So they conceived the idea of before Watchmen, which is basically everything that comes before Watchmen. (laughs) Uh, As I said, I'm I'm doing Azamendias. I'm also doing uh, the Curse of the Crimson Corsair, which is a different pirate book than they published during those times. Okay. Uh, The last panel of Azamendias is the first shot you see of him in the Watchmen. Oh, interesting. And it goes to there. And was that was that uh, dictated to you? Was no, this your that conception? was my decision. Interesting. Both cases. Did you mean, just they, they the offered ending? me Osman Dias, and <laughs> I, I thought he You just ruined the ending of your. No,
2: I know. At the end of Watchmen, there's a big no. <laughs> uh,
4: no, they offered me Osman Dias, and I liked the idea of taking him because he's the spine of the whole story. If you really get down to it, everything that happens happens because of him, well, one way bad. or another. What's, what's your point?
2: He's the bad guy, of course He's the, he's the unwritten He's the Yeah He's the, the In a mystery story The story you don't see Is the most interesting one
4: Well, now you're going to see thing. it <laughs> Because it's really interesting Touché <laughs> That was easy uh, And in the case of, of, of The Crimson Corsair you They said "Well, do another Tale of the Black Freighter And I said Well, no Why not? I said the whole idea was that in this universe, superhero comics had faded pretty early on, because superheroes existed for real. So that DC had gone on and done a line of super, or rather of pirate comics mm-hmm. instead. And I said, "Why don't we just do one of the other pirate comics? Let's see what else the line was like." And they said, "Oh, cool!" And so that's what I'm doing.
0: That's very interesting. What? Uh, what? <laughs> what was your way into this pirate comic? Because uh, this is not like really like anything
4: you've written before, oh, at li- least in the genre. I've written a couple of pirate stories. Have you really? Back back in the old that. mystery days when oh, I was writing really? mystery stories. Oh, yeah. Stories, wow. I actually drew a pirate story for Gold Key. No kidding. Yes. <laughs> but I just thought... Did, it, did you write that too? I Well, by the time it was done, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh wasn't uh, written by Johnny Craig originally. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> okay.
4: Johnny was a wonderful artist and, and yeah. a great writer, too. And a great writer, yeah. No, no, I, the, the weird part of it is, in the middle of the night, this past week, Wednesday night, I had, I had insomnia. And I'm laying there staring at the ceiling. And I said, you know, if they had a whole line of books, they're probably house ads. So I realized we are we doing a final book that has the <laughs> last ten pages of the Crimson Corsair story And a number of other things I'm frankly not sure what they are yet What we're going to be doing But I, I said we should do a house ad in that issue And and so I created the entire line of books That's Having nothing better to do with my time I lay there at 3 in the morning And invented an entire line of pirate comics <laughs>
0: okay. That's really fun Yeah. Do they really fun. Do they have the flavors of the You know DC comics that I they're the mirror of? So.
2: I hope so. Was there a That's great. comics code authority in the Watchmen world? <laughs> um, no, I don't believe there because, was. Because there there was never a Dr. Wortham. Right. He Whoa. was killed in the war. <laughs> <laughs> the Probably comedian. He was killed in the yeah, time war. That was the secret yeah. mission the comedian wanted. Yes, he, well, he, he was took it out. Frederick <laughs> <laughs> Please, uh, Ed. Well, it's the mystery of to well, got too well, close to the truth. Yeah.
4: Yeah. The, the worst part of this, of course, is now I actually really kind of want to write some of these books because they're, so, they're, they're all different. Absolutely. I created the whole line, of, so you'll see what they are. When That's really cool. You get to read. The worst part of the Crimson Corsair is they're writing, You're really selling it. Yeah. No, well, no, for me, not for you guys. Okay. for me. <laughs> for you, it's, it's the best part. <laughs> they're running two pages in each book mm-hmm. in order. Every not not every title there will be one Watchmen-related book a week. Starting the first week in June. Well your thing so is two pages
2: year. in the back of every two book? Two
4: pages in the back of every book. So
2: when I came <laughs> up with
4: <like> this... <laughs> that's, that's not a problem, right? Not at all. <laughs> I, having to come up with 35 cliffhangers yeah. is not a problem whatsoever. <laughs> and it's, you know, I look at myself and go, what the hell did you do now? <laughs> Alan
2: Moore would consider it a challenge. So, so <laughs> that...
4: And it's been working so far, actually. Two pages? <laughs> my God, I would,
2: I would blow my head off.
4: But that's, that's really the
3: way to get everybody to buy all it's, the it's, books, though. It's why they yeah. pay me More pirates.
4: Bucks. Yeah, if you, want yeah. The, if you want those pirates... Yeah. And you
3: <laughs> want you those gotta pirates. you got to know how this pirate
2: <laughs> stuff ends. <And>
3: then,
4: in. <laughs> Before
2: Watchmen sells wonderfully every issue, it will be because of the pirates. I origin. believe in yeah. the back, I believe and it will, re- it will spark... Maybe that whole line will... It leave.
4: will. Maybe they'll hire me to edit these. I like do you really want to go back to editing? Yes, I love it. Really? Editing. Oh, I love editing. Oh my God, why? Because you can. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it, but why? Because yeah. you control the whole package. Exactly. Oh. You're king. Yeah. You everything gets to be the way you want it to be if you do your job right. <laughs> That's great. You control the writers, the artists, the colorists, the lettering. See, most you of the it.
2: editors I've. I, not, no disparity to, to any of the editors I've worked with in comics, but the, the production cycle of comics at this point is so insane that, <laughs> that a lot of the editing comes down to hiring the right people and traffic managing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when the production cycle gets insane, it's hiring people
4: and traffic managing, and not always the right people. So, well, it's, the, the it's, trick is to try to keep it the right people. I mean, yeah.
2: Was, Mike Carlin was the first editor I worked with who didn't do anything. He just said, my job, like, he didn't make notes that weren't unnecessary. Sometimes people would just rewrite word balloons for no reason. Oh, oh yeah. And, uh, and you'd be like, what? Why, do you, why did you rewrite that? And, you know, I like the editors who don't feel the need to actually go in there and rewrite yeah. stuff. Um, I don't have any of those anymore. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> Con- conveniently, <laughs> prima donna. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not a clause in my contract. It's just understood.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I have always said that I, I felt I did my job as an editor best when it appeared I was doing it the least.
2: Yeah, which what, was yeah. You hire. supposed was the Mike Carlin that I did, he yeah. said that actually. You hire
4: the right people. Yeah. You point them in the right direction. And you get the hell out of their way.
2: I'm, not, I, I'm back to the porn again with this microphone. By the way, Whoa. oh wait, we're not doing a video podcast. Sorry. No,
4: no. Also, for those on, listening let's on keep radio, it clean. <laughs> yeah, well, considering the way we're dressed, thank God it's not video. Uh, one more question
0: about this Watchmen uh, yes. series. Besides the you know pacing of the pirate series,
4: what's mm-hmm. been what's been a challenge in writing these? Being true to the spirit of the original material. Hmm. I think it's difficult. How would you, you know, describe the spirit of the original material? Well, a guy in a blue suit with both <laughs> men, that's the dust spirit. <laughs> uh, no, it's... it's there, there's an integrity of sorts to the product that everyone wants to maintain. We're all in competition with each other, not to do a better job than Alan, but to do as good a job mm-hmm. as Alan. And it's been fascinating. I have never worked with a bunch of people more excited about what they're doing, more... Committed to what they're doing and, and doing as good a job as I've seen everybody doing.
3: Are you all like scared shitless though? I mean, no, I,
4: have, I, 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 I can am can not. None doesn't care. You None know, created like... Wolverine. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> also, also I, I, I hired Alan, so Alan doesn't scare me. Alan never scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he also like he, a also wizard? Doesn't have a passport. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me teleport. This is Alan. He no, can't when, teleport. When I, after my first there are year or two, in America. <laughs> after my first year or two of working with Alan, when I realized. Oh, every story is exactly the same uh, <laughs> I, We made it a lot easier To work with Oh, no, come <laughs> on Go back and look at love vendetta is no, no, I'm talking about look, look the swamp thing Every issue of swamp thing Or every story in swamp thing Is constructed identically
2: <laughs> oh, he's, yeah, Well, he's very much about structure I don't know he's my favorite comic book writer, so I I don't think there's a bit I probably write and we all write the same story over and over again. I mean Archie Goodwin taught me that in the one the one five the one time I talked to him about writing.
0: Well Ed, which which sacred cow would you like to take down today? (laughs) Which
2: sacred cow? (laughs) Boy, I don't know if I have any. What do, what do you mean?
0: <laughs> well, we've heard, the question. we've heard about Alan. Not so great. <laughs>
4: <laughs> one no, trick pony. nobody's yeah. no ever been a better wordsmith. I, mean, I his think. Wordsmith I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. I think is, he's
2: he's the guy whose work I always go back to the most. What? As I think he probably just as far as the voice of comics, uh, there's a lot of a lot of great people have worked in comics. I think. If you look at the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, you get these these various people who were influential on the voice of their era. Stan Lee's voice... Mm-hmm. went from the 60s up until Alan Moore, really. Mm-hmm. And I think Alan Moore was was sort of an earthquake in, in, in mainstream comics. I mean, Len's, Len didn't have Stan Lee's voice, but when he wrote Spider-Man, yeah. you had to. Sure. I mean, you tried to. I mean, yes. everybody did. And so there was, a, there was a... Alan Moore was sort of a freeing influence. I mean, I, I was reading Alan Moore before Len hired him. I was buying Warrior Magazine really? when I was mm-hmm. in high school. And How did you uh, find
0: those when you were in high school? I
2: had... I went to every comic book store. I was a comic nerd. I, I, I would spend my afternoons like you know trying to avoid bullies and going to comic book stores all over San Diego. And, and you know, I, I, there was some really good comic stores there that got like, British Imports and Undergrounds. And I was reading like Cerebus and Warrior and what was your, Reed, Reed Fleming. You what
0: know. was your gateway as a uh, young kid to comic books?
2: My first comics, well, Marvel comics, probably. My dad, uh, when I was like two or three, we were my dad. Uh, my brother's a couple years older, and my dad wanted us to get into reading early. And he had been a comic book guy growing up. Um, he, he'd, you know, he was born in the '30s, so he sort of grew up with comics his mm-hmm. whole life. Um, and he went. He was in uh, naval intelligence, and he went into his office and said, "Hey, Danny, you guys have." Comics your kids don't want anymore, and he just came home with this huge box of comics in like 1969 or 1970 oh. or something. And uh, the first comic I can remember reading was Fantastic Four number six with like half the cover torn off. And I know <laughs> what there was, was some, the story. E. Yeah. C. It was awesome. uh, the the Submariner and Doctor Doom team up, and they send the. The uh, Baxter Building into outer space for (laughs) for some reason it made sense at the time. We can do this. Totally made sense.
4: Jack thought it was cool.
2: Yeah, Jack was like, "This will look awesome." And Stan was like, "I guess I can write dialogue for this." Um, But uh, yeah, that I remember reading some early Archies, some a couple EC horror things. But but really, the comics that really you know were my. My first comics I spent my own allowance on. I went to the PX in uh, Guantanamo Bay... Uh, in the early 70s, and I bought uh, an issue of Captain America and Marvel Premiere number 16. No
0: kidding. So
2: it was a Captain America number 256 with the wow. two caps running at each other on the cover. The, cap, the crazy cap from the 50s. and I remember it said across the bottom, two into one can't go. <laughs> which just absolutely makes no sense. But, like, the flying building. that yeah. makes I also remember yeah. the fists, like, like Sal Basima drew the l- world's largest fists. Like, they looked like they had seven Fingers on each hand. <laughs> I mean, you probably worked with the guy. Oh yeah, I did. A <laughs> Huge fists. It was Which the was one. Was enough. the one thing that was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, those were so Captain America and Iron Fist were like my my sort of you know go-to books as a
0: kid. What was the appeal of those for you as a kid?
2: I don't know. I mean, God, who knows? You know, I was like a four-year-old kid or five-year-old kid. Captain America, I think, was because I grew up on military bases and you know was around a lot of soldiers and. And I also had my mind blown during that, you know, reading those Engelhart books as a little kid, you know, when Cap quits, and you're like, wait, America might be wrong in something? Like, I remember actually, like, which, you know, I mean, they always say, you know, oh, books can't change people. Well, they totally can. I mean, if you can, yes. if you can think of books... Who can says that? People, well, you know, whenever we're trying to defend books. Oh, okay. You say, oh, it's not books, it's parenting. And it's like, well, it's books, too. If, you know, but if a, if a book can make someone better as a person, then of course a book could turn someone evil, too. I mean, look at the Holocaust. Look at it. Okay. It was started no, by a take book. A second, look. Yeah. Take, a, take a second, Just Take a second. But, uh, so I remember reading that as a kid, and just, you know, I remember when we were in first grade, Nixon was running for president against Mondale, I think. Uh-huh. and And they wanted us to get involved in politics So the school voted And we lived on a military base And the teacher actually told all of us That we needed to vote for Nixon <laughs> wow. Because if Mondale won He was going to give Guantanamo Bay Back to Castro And we wouldn't have anywhere to live <laughs> And I remember, oh, I'm voting for Nixon it was the only time I've ever voted for a Republican <laughs> But ironically, not the only time You ever voted for Nixon No, weird, exactly no? <laughs> that, is, that is weird, I did vote for money was
0: um, We're
2: As an independent
0: Were you, when you were becoming aware of You know, obviously when Alan Moore hit the scene You became aware of who that guy was Were you a guy who followed writers or artists? Oh yeah,
2: yeah I mean, I was, from the time I was a little kid Drawing and writing my. I actually started writing so that I would have things to draw I wanted to be a penciler when I was a kid. I wanted to pencil...
0: Len, you're shaking your head. Was that what you did That's also? exactly what I did. Really? Yeah, I was wondering, because you guys did fanzines, you and Marv yeah, and all I, those I that's i only, that, right?
2: That's exactly right. I, I, I only... I, I actually, in my teens, was reading interviews with Len and Marv and wishing that I had like a group of friends that we were doing fanzines together <laughs> so that we could then
4: like oh, infiltrate. Funny. Amazing. <laughs> but, no, that's exactly how. I was, I was huh. an arts major. I majored in art in high school and college. I was going to be a comic book artist. And then I brought in samples of stuff I'd written and drawn, (laughs) and they said, "You know, as an artist, you're a pretty good writer." (laughs) And so
2: Brian Bendis has that same story. When he, he, I mean, he and I both started uh, writing and drawing comics uh, for small press places, and uh, when Joe Quesada called him up and said, "Hey, we got some work for you," and he's, and he's like, "Oh, great! What book needs a penciler?" And he's like, "No, your art is terrible. We want you to write." (laughs) He's like, "Oh, well, what?"
0: Uh, um, and, and that was your experience, too? You did the small press? I did. I, I got to a point where my, my art
2: style, you know, was at best somewhere in between, like, Archie and... Archie. <laughs> <laughs> to, the guy who drew Jughead and the guy who drew... I mean, if I, if I was... And those guys are my favorite artists, so... But I, I just... I had so many stories that I didn't have the ability to draw, actually, and I started having friends that liked the comics I wrote and drew asked me to write stories for them and I started wait this is way easier than actually drawing it. I mean <laughs> writing a, I mean it sure. would take me 6 6, less six months to draw a 24 page comic and <laughs> to the point where it was stopping me from writing things because I would think well is this story really worth spending 6 months of my life drawing and <laughs> I was incredibly hard on everything because I knew how Fucking long it was gonna take me to draw it. Sure. You know, just to use the F word because we can. Yeah. Um, I I, think I fucking forgot that we could fucking swear on this fucking thing. Now it's gonna be like in Bruges up in here. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, this place is a shithole, by the way. But at least it's hot. It's hot. It's <laughs> at, least, at least it's hot in LA. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I started getting work as a, as a writer. I, I remember uh, Eric Shanauer actually is sort of responsible for my whole career, who does a book called The Age of Bronze. For, How awesome. um, He was a guy who shopped at my comic store, and I met him because I was actually a jerk bragging about Watchmen, because uh, the guy who <laughs> delivered. Uh, our comics from Bud Plant was our distributor at the time and this guy A.G. Parr actually delivered to San Diego and his roommate was Howard Chaikin's assistant. Uh, <laughs> right. Rich, Richard somebody. I can't remember his name now. He was an amazing artist and Howard Chaikin had gotten in his contract at D.C. when he was doing The Shadow that he got advanced Xeroxes of anything Alan Moore was working on.
4: <laughs> number and, that. Yeah,
2: see? And so this guy's roommate was working for Chicken, So he would Xerox shit So we were getting Watchmen Three or four months early In black and white Xeroxes <laughs> And then there was this delay Towards like issue 11 or 12 There was like a couple months Where one was late Len And it was it's it Len's fault I was not only the one editor l- At that point actually <laughs> well, I, Yeah no okay. Len was Len, It was Dick Giordano Was a, <laughs> Total prick. By the way, no. I'm just kidding. The <laughs> ass name, Dick Jr. Yeah, oh. Dick. You, no, I, I I'm. Yeah, no, I feel bad now. I worked with him <laughs> once. He was a great guy. Yeah, Dick was I'm actually one of the nicest I'm just nice talking on my business. ass. Dick, Dick, was the nicest guy in the world. Um, he really was. But uh, Eric came in and he was like, "Oh, this one's finally out." He's like, "I've been waiting for." I feel like I've been waiting forever. And I said, "Well, you've been waiting forever. <laughs> I've been waiting five months because I got an advanced Xerox." And he said he left the store and he was thinking who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> He's like, how the fuck does this guy rate advanced Xerox as a watchman? And it was like, I was, you know, Chakin actually had to stop his assistants from, because it got it got around that his assistants were starting to get this shit out. So all of his assistants were cut off from the Xerox machine, which really cut down on productivity. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was, uh, so that's how Eric and I met. And we ended up becoming friends after I was a big braggy douchebag. And, uh, and he was doing... Comics and and he was coming up with what was going to end up being Age of Bronze, which is this brilliant uh, thing he's doing for the last 20 years about the Trojan War at Image. Um, And everybody wanted to work with Eric, and Eric didn't have any contemporary ideas. And I just, he he and I had both lived in Guantanamo Bay at different times in the 70s. And I said, well, why don't we just do like a crime story that takes place there, and I'll write it, and you can draw it. And we sold it to Dark Horse just based on the fact that they wanted him to do something. <laughs> and then we'll I got to write it, and that was like my first real like paying work as a writer That's in great. like the like 1990 or something like that. And then and we got nominated. Tom Cruise starred in it. Yes, Jack <laughs> that, and how it happens for yeah. everybody. <laughs> but yeah, after that, we got nominated for some awards, and and more people wanted to work with Eric, and he just said, "Well, can my friend write it?" And and I remember it was Lou wow. Stathis at uh, Vertigo. And he said, well, can this guy write? And he said, well, he's up for the fucking Eisner Award for, for best fucking writer. And, and he said, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Alan Moore's up for that. He just but writes the same
0: story over and over. Just, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's all the same. Um,
0: well, I want, let me just uh, cut in right here for a sec, because I, I want to move on, but I wanted yeah, to ask this on. question.
3: That <laughs> um, the the that crimes, happen, right? The
0: crime stuff, uh, which is all over you know, your, your work and... Is It's really some of my favorite stuff that you do. Uh, Where did this come from as far as influence and interest?
2: Oh, three things. We'll start with three. No. um, (laughs) uh, My uncle was a famous uh, crime noir screenwriter, John Paxton. He wrote Murder, My Sweet and Crossfire and The Wild One and On the Beach and a lot of movies. So I grew up, we would come up and visit him and my dad was always really into these old noir films because of that. And so I grew up going to like noir fests. And so that was always sort of part of my worldview. And then when I was a teenager, I uh, was kind of a criminal and a drug addict and a drug dealer and a thief and uh, at one point an armed robber. a lot, of, a lot of bad what? shit. <laughs> I did comics about it. It's all in there. <laughs> Low life. It's out of print. Find it on eBay. Um, but uh, that was, you know, that was sort of my life history. Was, you know, being a speed freak and and what? stealing shit. And you know, it well, was a teenager. I mean, it's so long ago that it feels like another person. As you know, everything always does.
4: There'll be cops waiting at the door for you. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, the statute of limitations is long past. But um, but really. Uh, a lot of my early comics are about that sort of time in my life as a teenager when, you know, my friends and I in the 80s were all into like bands and drugs and crime and, and stuff like that. And uh, And so that was sort of, you know, those two influences sort of combined and... I went through this weird period where I read sort of like every Kerouac and Bukowski, and I got to the point where I was really sick of them, but I wanted to read more stuff like that. And then someone gave me a bunch of Jim Thompson books. Hmm. I'm like, oh, like Jim Thompson is like Bukowski, but with a plot. <laughs> and, and that sort of plot sparked plot. my interest in trying to write that stuff. And, I, and I'd always read a lot of true crime and, and stuff like that. Like the story that Eric and I did for Dark Horse uh, was called An Accidental Death. And parts of it were based on an actual crime that happened in Berkeley when I was living there about a guy who may or may not have murdered his girlfriend while she was jogging and then came home and had, came back and had sex with her corpse later. Um, as you do. Sure. I mean, it's totally <laughs> oh, normal if you're going to murder your girlfriend while jogging. While you're there, sure. Yeah, why, I mean, come on, she was hot.
1: Uh,
2: yeah, this is, like, so... But he said Alan Moore writes the same story over there. I just want to say... I would like to no, point no. out that I am not the Forget most... Forget it. Yeah.
0: We're on to corpse-fucking. Oh, yeah, we're, we're
2: on to corpse-fucking. So I don't know if it was actually... but but uh, So those were just always fascinations of mine. And, and honestly, when I started doing, you know, work that I was getting paid to do, it was, you know, crime story-related stuff, and I didn't actually think that I could write superheroes or anything like that. I was trying to figure out how I would have a career as a writer if I didn't break in as a screenwriter immediately or sell an option on, you know, a book, which, you know, we could have done had, you know, various people not been running those companies. Um, we'll get to that in question three. Uh, if we get to questions, yeah, probably we'll we won't. We—he we, yeah, hasn't even had a question yet.
1: <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hi. Yeah.
0: Um, let's talk about uh, you. You have a background in comic books as well, a little bit, yeah. Uh, that was sort of, but wasn't that sort of your breakthrough as a writer uh, to the public, anyway?
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. How'd that and I'm exactly like them, I wanted to be a penciler when oh, I was really? good, and I actually, yeah, uh, to the extent that I did really shitty in the last couple years of high school, even though I was a bright kid and whatever, uh, <laughs> I, because I was going to go to the Joe Kubert school. Oh, really? me too. And I was like, <laughs> fuck it, I'm going there. I don't care about my SATs. I'm not going to take that crap. Um, How'd that work out? I quit on the second day.
2: <laughs> really? <laughs> of the, of yeah, yeah. Cooper. You actually went?
3: I went. I went. Oh, I, wow. And I, I actually just last week finally threw out my big plastic portfolio that you get when you... <laughs> Oh. First get all your stuff. it was a little sad. It was what a little weird. why what did you uh, what
2: year were you gonna go there? This was
3: uh eighty nine.
2: Oh wow. Okay. Why did yeah, you I quit? got accepted in eighty for eighty five and I didn't I chickened out because yeah. I was like I didn't want to move from San Diego to New Jersey when yeah. I was like seventeen I was living in New Jersey and I old. was, yeah. and oh. I oh, was
3: uh, I, that's why did you kinda quit, what? I quit um well, all, uh, Qbert started up maybe two weeks after all my high school friends started college, mm-hmm. and I had a girlfriend at the time, I went and visited her down at Rutgers, and I looked around, and I went, oh, you know, like, it just seemed, <laughs> it seemed like an okay idea, for whatever reason, I thought all colleges cost $20,000 a year at the time, I mean, now they do, but, uh,
0: now it's a I lot really more. was now ignorant like of what <laughs> college
3: cost, and like we didn't have any money really. Cubert was maybe five grand or, or something <laughs> at the time. Um, it was, yeah, it was like eight. Like and, all in with your yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so between that and uh, you know living ten minutes away, like, and it just kind of all hit me on the first day. I got super depressed. I went, oh wait a minute. I'm gonna stay living at my parents' house for the next three years and drive 10, 15 minutes to the school <laughs> to learn uh, how to draw comic books, and then I'm gonna go to work at the comic shop after. And I just like my whole world just got really tiny all of a sudden, Aww. and uh, my eyes got wide, and I went, "Yeah, no." <laughs> how many you know? girls were at the Kubert School on your
2: first couple days there? Were there any? I don't in know, class? I think there were like maybe two. Shanower had like two or three in his graduating class, yeah. I think. He was in the second graduating class.
0: Another reason to go to Rutgers. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I uh, quit
3: and my, uh, I had to go work at UPS for a while. Wow. Because, <laughs> like, I couldn't get into, sure. uh, you know, another school until the next right. semester. So I went to community college for a while and then did well at that and just figured I'd learn comics on my own yeah. I guess while just learning other stuff to fill which
0: seems feasible I mean yeah. uh, presumably you've been a to uh, and even fan.
3: their kind of orientation speech was like you know we're not going to teach you anything you can't learn but the whole point is to condense like 10 years of experience into a concentrated thing mm-hmm. you know otherwise you can learn this on your own but it'll take you a long time mm-hmm. you know so uh, I was willing to take that chance, and I've never, I, you know, I didn't become a penciler anyway. So
2: did you ever publish anything?
3: Yeah. Well, that's that's what was cool. My um, my boss at the comic shop was kind of really disappointed that I quit the school, and like, I, you know, there was a really supportive group of regular customers and everything who were all rooting for me to go pro and stuff, and uh, and so he was really cool. Like, I started sending samples out. Like, I had come up with this idea for this. Uh, probably Flaming Carrot-influenced thing called mm-hmm. Cement Shoes, and I was sending it out to a bunch of different companies, and he was like, tell you what, if nobody wants it, I'll publish it. What? So, want- my Yeah, so the comic shop dude and his high school buddy who worked in a print shop, like... Awesome. That's great. We self-published this thing, and we did, like, two issues, and um, that's how I ended up at a comic convention and meeting Ben Edland because um, it was very tick-like. Well, I was going to you know,
2: say, he did, that's, he sold all the first... Uh, issues of the tick were all sold through the comic store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
3: they they became uh, a a publisher and still are. Um, Well, that's
2: how we heard about it when I was working at a comic store, and the tick was this thing that they'd sold thousands of them through this one comic store. And I'm like, what? (laughs) We can do that? I started printing my own comics (laughs) and selling (laughs) another comic store. I didn't sell thousands.
0: Uh, So so this was, uh, you wrote and penciled this, yeah, I mean, and comic,
2: really
3: badly inked and lettered. It and <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bad-looking stuff. But um, uh, there were enough good jokes in it, I guess. And um, Ben recognized the smell of the same <laughs> kind of sensibility and stuff. It was a superhero parody thing, and so he was like, "Hey, this is pretty good." And I was going to—I was going to Rutgers by that time, and he sent me a letter after the convention, going, "Hey, well, we're you know, we want to do some other spin-off tick comics. I think the." animated series was about to get underway and they knew that he'd be pulling away a little bit and they needed some spin-off. Yeah, I didn't realize he was
0: still so involved with the comic even once the animated show started up. Uh, I mean, were they just kind of running things and saying, here's what the plan is and we need to make more because now people will know about...
3: Yeah. And I I mean, I guess... um I mean, I guess he was into it, into the idea of, like, oh, yeah, let's do the Chainsaw Vigilante and let's have somebody keep the Tick in print. And Mm -hmm. um, he fully intended to go back and do the, whatever, the 12th issue, 13th? Anybody know that one? 13th? 13th. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so the series they put me on, the whole idea of it was, okay, in the 13th issue, the Tick disappears into a closet for five minutes, and when he comes out, he's been on this... Bizarre adventure that maybe took A year or something but was instantaneous So that was My crappy mandate for the series that I did So that like you know started us off On like oh it's got to be kind of You know uh, time travel-y interstellar or Whatever and so and I, I kind of hate that Stuff and but I so I wrote Some not great stories um, what, what
0: was the stuff that you liked Either you know in comics or out of comics That you were into um, You know like on the On the
3: humor side, I was just discovering... um, Well, I mean, I was really into, like, Flaming Carrot. I was into the weirder kind of stuff. um, And I was just starting to discover, like, Dan Clowes and everything. That was, like, huge. That was kind of... That changed my drawing style, changed my idea of what I could call a comic book, you know? Um, Because I kind of knew I would never have the drawing chops to like do a serious superhero comic <laughs> and I was maybe getting out of them at the time, uh, but on that end I was super into, you know, Frank Miller and, and stuff yeah. like that, you know Did you like Neat Stuff,
2: the early Peter Bag book?
3: No, because like, I could not stand his drawing stuff, like oh, wow. I never liked <laughs> extra cartoony
2: looking stuff, you know, I got oh, wow. into Hate after, oh, yeah. but I always thought Neat Stuff was the shit I, I, I like Hate, but no. Neat Stuff was but his art is really bizarre Yeah, I and mean, it's like yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's like it's sort of like, to, you're, you're, sort of like ang, angry
3: Mad Magazine yeah. or yeah. something. And I just I, yeah. I I couldn't get around that at the time. Like I grew to like it later. I was like um, Studs Kirby, the angry. I was to Evan Dorkin Kirby. a lot. Actually, oh, yeah, that was Dorkin. kind of a big, a weird, big influence on me because that was kind of when I discovered black and white <laughs> indie comics. In a way, I've like found oh, yeah. one of his two page strips and I. Xerox didn't put it up in my locker and everybody thought it was just the weirdest, funniest thing, you know. Um was that milk and cheese? Yeah, it was like a yeah. super early milk and cheese. And um yes. and that's what kinda of turned me on to some of these other things and I got like somebody gave me the like um the Matt Groening Life and Hell books oh, for yeah. Christmas that year and yeah. Suddenly, I went, "Oh, newspaper comic strips suck, and they could be this instead." And so, like in my high school newspaper, it changed what I started doing. You okay. know, in those comic strips, and I was doing comic strips in my college paper and everything. And it, that stuff, you know, made me go, "Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to be a successful syndicated comic strip guy, and I don't want to be uh, a superhero comic guy. I want to, you know." I would probably suck at those things anyway, so <laughs> just started kind of doing
0: my own thing, and you know. And yeah, so, in, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, in, in approaching those first tick comics, mm-hmm. um, which you were writing and/or drawing,
3: I was writing. They, weirdly, they were like, "Hey, your pencils aren't really strong enough <laughs> to do." <laughs> The the drawing, but you can do the covers. That oh, was really? that was weird. Really? So I did it, I did, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's the so it. Yeah, exactly. Every, exactly. Yeah, so against, I wrote. Yeah. Well, wait. There was a rule. Well, it was like a '70s thing. If the cover was great, the art inside would suck. And if the cover <laughs> sucked, it would be like George Perez inside. Yeah. You know, like that was kind of. Did you guys do that on purpose?
4: Yeah. We yeah. just wanted to. <laughs>
3: Iron <laughs> Fist was like that Iron, the, yeah. The covers were better than right.
4: well
2: John Byrne or no drew, it was like, the other way around yeah John Byrne they was, wouldn't let was the dude kinda, do the that inside that's my favorite John Byrne stuff is the, that, I think that was during an era where Gil Kane drew all the covers too so yes. you really have to not like Gil Kane to say that <laughs> what's wrong with I don't know I just got yeah, the, <laughs> just got Gil the essential surfing. thing and I'm reading it and I'm going they never let this guy do the covers yeah there was a period where there's some really bad covers on Iron Fist I have to say <laughs> <laughs> I was our, our whole goal when we got Iron Fist Fraction and I talked about it And we just wanted to do one more issue Than Byrne and Claremont had done that was How many our did old. they do? They did 15 We wanted to do 16 That was <laughs> it <laughs> that was, lost I, goals. As long <laughs> as we lasted Because no other Iron Fist run Had ever gone that long <laughs> Wow And we were just right. like I just want to beat John Byrne One time Because he's such <laughs> a jerk I yeah, apologize run-
4: <laughs> My run was an issue I think sorry. Yeah an
2: issue Yeah you did an issue Yeah,
4: right? yeah I was did. premiere? The, the second half of the origin <laughs> Oh
2: yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first comic I bought.
4: Marvel Premiere <laughs>
2: number 16, <laughs> drawn by Larry Hama. Yep. Holy shit. We've been sitting here this whole time and I had <laughs> no fucking clue. You owe me 20 cents. I owe you
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, What's the deal with Iron Fist? I like Iron Fist. Wh- why, what Why? attracted you? He did Kung Fu. He was a Kung he Fu. Cool. It's still in Dude, a comic he book, though. He looked cool.
2: He looked yeah. cool when I was young enough. His weird... Little outfit with the weird booties. Where yeah. I guess Gil Kane thought he was drawing kung fu shoes, and he drew ballet slippers accidentally. That was the I other thing I wanted, to, I wanted. to redeem Iron Fist by giving him a new outfit, and then they promptly turned that outfit that David Aja and me and Fraction like went over for months till we got it exactly perfect. They he now wears that exact outfit, but they have changed it to white for some reason. Yeah, like, I, why is it white? Iron Fist is. I'll bet is, there's a reason. There was like a story Does anybody know. There's a story reason, yeah, but I don't yeah, care. It's yeah. green and yellow in my yeah. mind. John Byrne apparently always thought it was brown and yellow cuz he's colorblind. Oh great. Yeah. But you yeah, you what like explains it explains the barn is Wolverine. green and yellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just yeah.
4: Wait, Len, say that on the mic. I said that explains the brown and orange Wolverine outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so only someone colorblind. <laughs> yeah, but Shaken's colorblind too and he's a wonderful colorist. So, who knows? Well, Take, is take it Tim that, Zale John Zayle
2: Byrne. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, wait, I, I apologize co-line? for not knowing.
2: I think he's just blind. No, no. Oh, wow. it's going to make a really <laughs> awful. Ed, awful.
0: I apologize for not knowing, but did you complete more? Uh, we did.
2: S- well, I stayed on for Iron 15 post? issues in Fraction, and Aja did issue 16, which oh. <laughs> I feel like I worked on because it was exactly <laughs> what I wanted it to be. I was like the editor.
0: Oh, basically. I Basically,
2: I put those two people in a room and said, and
0: you This were is with what them Iron Fist should then, be,
2: and then they did like. The best issue of Iron Fist ever, <laughs> and then uh, it went on for a few issues after that oh, okay. by other people. But oh, we, but our, our our group had fallen apart. <laughs> we were like the Beatles of Iron Fist.
4: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Or, the or maybe more. the wait. small faces of
4: Iron <laughs> <laughs> Fist. Who, who was the Yoko in that case? Uh, Yeah, I don't know.
2: David Aja had a kid and could never meet deadlines after that.
0: (laughs) So that baby was (laughs) the baby. Yoko Aja. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I was going to ask, uh, Chris, in writing those first Tick comics, uh, which was, uh, you were writing and not illustrating, uh, was there a sharp learning curve involved there? I don't know. Had you scripted stuff Uh, before, or were you just kind of drawing to. I d- yeah, I just wrote and drew my own crap,
2: yeah. you know? When you wrote your stuff to draw yourself, did you write a script first, or did you just write and draw oh, at the same time? No. Yeah, I
0: d- oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Just...
2: I always wrote a script first for some reason.
0: So, um, But these, these ticks, right. you actually had to script,
3: obviously. I th- yeah, I did. And I so did. So... I actually had to type and everything. I remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> Typing. Super old typewriter. <laughs> um, yeah, because it was the first time I had an editor, also, mm-hmm. or... You know, yeah. they're not really editors, but there's <laughs> like somebody that you have to turn it into. <laughs> well, you know, they don't really <laughs> edit, they're just somebody you have to turn it into, and they yeah. go, uh, okay. You were answering you know, to someone there. I, I um. can't even remember. I really don't remember much of the process at all. It was so wow. long ago, and it was, you know, like, like my 20. first summer living off campus in college, and uh, my roommate was a drug dealer, so. <laughs> I, I wasn't was quite as bad. Near <laughs> 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 wasn't as bad as you, but it was like the you know the first summer of going, Hey, there's <laughs> other things in life than my torky little comics. Armed um, robberies. You know. robberies. Arm- Sex. <laughs> yeah. Robberies.
0: Um yeah. So, uh, well, then, so. well then we'll move on from to <laughs> answer my question. Uh, Ed, you you did script stuff that you were drawing yourself? Yeah, I
2: always in my in a notebook by hand, I didn't have to type. Okay. I remember having to type the same thing. I had to like borrow an electric typewriter from someone to write my first scripts because Dark Horse wanted to actually see what I was writing. I was like, "Oh, that's appalling!
1: I should just be able to give this straight
2: to Eric." I remember like, and then and then having to wonder like, "Well, what do what do comic scripts look like?" And the comics yeah. journal had printed like. A few pages of an Alan Moore script, which is always the worst thing. (laughs) Whenever someone says that now, I'm like, "Oh, you poor fool!" (laughs) Because Alan Moore scripts are 150 pages for 20-page comic, right?
4: Yeah,
0: Leonard, tell us about that. You clearly (laughs) have something to say. He
4: actually had three mailmen die. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff. It was just, just, just appalled. He's he's doing (laughs) the Watchmen. Every page, in essence, is a nine-panel grid. And every one of the nine panels is done in the most remarkable detail. There's an uh, ashtray on the table, three-quarters of the across the room, with two cigarette butts. One's a lucky strike, the other was you know, he whatever. He basically drew it with words, right? Like yeah. Would, I mean, I mean there there was,
2: he did the composition, Yes, too, I mean, right? he would
4: do all of this. Yeah. He would describe it in, in the most meticulous detail. And then and the description of every single panel with, but if it doesn't work for you, just do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. <laughs> after a
2: literally a page i yeah. remember the pa- the the first panel of watchmen which is blood running on a a smiley face thing in a gutter well i just did the whole panel right there <laughs> like Perfect. that's all you need to do that's <laughs> it. And, but it was a single fucking
4: page of mm. of like, single-spaced. Typed all And tap. typed to the edge of the paper. Yeah. There was no border. He would just type right across. Stop. Pick up. Boom. Oh, that's crazy
3: people typing.
4: Yeah.
2: Oh. <laughs> that's Kerouac. Yeah, that's Kerouac. Had we but stuff. known yeah. then
0: what we know now. <laughs> Dear God. Uh, so this was your introduction to comic scripting?
2: <laughs> well, I, wasn't, I didn't go that far because I thought, well, Eric knows. Uh, I also, because I was writing and drawing my own stuff... <clears throat> I knew the most fun part of doing comics is actually the storyboarding part of the layouts mm-hmm. of the the composition of each panel, where the shapes are going to go. And I remember in the early days, I would actually I would type the script and then I would make a little comic book size grid at the bottom of the page and just do the grid structure of how I saw it. Like, three panels on the first tier, one tier for the second, you know, mm-hmm. like full tier for the next. And I would do that. And after a while, I remember Michael Lark, I think halfway through Scene of the Crime, said, can you please stop doing that? <laughs> and I said, why? And he said, because it gets in my head. And then I can't, if I want to do a four tier page, oh, I can't, fun. you know, it's like, it's in my head. And that, you're taking away all the fun. It's <laughs> act- yeah. good. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, I'm like the it's Michael my book. man. Of, you know, it's not supposed to be fun; it's work. <laughs> We're paid for it. Um, but uh, you know, I, 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 but I, I will always, you know, even in my head, I still, every script I write, I still on on whatever page, I'll tell the artist what's going to be the full tier or the big panel because well, you know, you want, you yeah, need, the big panel especially, yeah. yeah. But I don't. Yeah, but I never would go like you know he's in the foreground, like, the, the amount of detail and then you see, like, Eddie Campbell and Dave Gibbons would show you what the pages would look like when they actually sat to draw them, mm-hmm. they would take that Alan Moore script and they would, hi- I think Gibbons highlighted the two sentences in the, each panel description <laughs> he needed, and Eddie Campbell actually just blacked out everything <laughs> except for
1: right.
2: the, like, part, because he didn't want to have be all. he's like, oh, they're writing a carriage on the street okay, <laughs> and he blacked out everything but that and, That's you know And it was like, I mean, they're really his communication to the artist. And that's, that's the interesting thing about comic scripting compared to writing a novel or a screenplay. I mean, you're really writing something to your artist. And you have to communicate it effectively to them.
0: You consider them the audience. Yeah, they're your first reader, yeah. really.
2: You know, unless you have an editor right. who reads stuff before the artist. But that never happens. <laughs> um, none of my editors are listening to this.
0: What are the chances.
2: What are, yeah. Uh, they have no time. They have like 19 books a month to edit. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Len, how did you learn that uh, language of story scripting or comic book scripting?
4: I... Guess I was self-taught. I don't recall seeing very many scripts yeah. before I started that. There no there really wasn't all that much before I started that.
2: Yeah, I was oh, going to say what, how many comics was DC publishing when you got there? Four oh months.
4: 12 15 a month. Twelve,
0: fifteen 15 a month. Wow. And that when was that? That was like early 70s, late, late 60s? 60s. Late 60s. And was that sort 60s? of a Didn't dry time? Did you guys time? take over
4: Teen Titans? Yes. Yeah. For, for an issue.
0: <laughs> Just
4: well, we were supposed to take it over for a longer issue, but Marv and I had done a story that introduced the first black superhero to the DC universe, and they panicked. Who was that?
2: Uh, it was well, his the original character it was, was this black guy who hated Jews. <laughs> <laughs> with,
4: with, it sounds like an awesome you know, character. A a time coming Complex. up with a chess symbol. <laughs> Uh, Sorry. Uh, no, it was a character called Jericho, a You're name Jericho. later used for a whole different character. Yeah. And, that's and Nick the, Carty. Oh, yeah. Nick Carty did the art. It was oh, beautiful. Man, he's the greatest. The art was spectacular. And we did the first issue and we were finished. And then Carmine Infantino saw it and said, we can't do this. We may offend some of our, our retailers down south. And so they made us try to rewrite it over the weekend, which we couldn't do. And Neil Adams, who was at the height of his power, said, Give it to me, I'll fix it. And so Neil kind of went and rewrote our whole story. But we got sort of blacklisted because of that. I had just been given uh, Tomahawk and the Challenges of the Unknown and Metal Men to write, Marv had something else. And they all got pulled before we even got to this them. Uh-huh. Really? The whole human metalman. There was a little section, if anybody remembers that book, towards its end. Yeah. Where they all got secret identities. That was all my stuff. Really? But uh, most of them never saw print with my name on it. So Marv left the industry, decided to become an art teacher, <laughs> moved to Lake Ron Concomo, New York. Most of it was fun to say, I think. <laughs> uh, and I went down the block <laughs> to Gold Key. Yeah. And they were in a kind of staid old company, but they <laughs> They were a comic book company. And I went in, I had a meeting with Wally Green and Paul Kuhn, his assistant, who were both lovely gentlemen. And uh, I said, Hi, my name is Len Wee, and I'm, I'm a comic book writer, and I would like to write for you folks. And their response to me was, I'll never forget this. They looked at me and they said, You're not going to put the black people in it, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what they said to me was, "In God's name, why?" <laughs> in God's name, why? It's really? yes. Gold Key in 1968. 68, and I said, oh, oh I, 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 "I like your books. Yeah, oh, I, I, I read for them. I wrote the Twilight Zone. I, I was wrote say Star Twilight Trek, Zone, didn't you? Oh I, my God, I wrote I Star, Star Trek books, for them for several years. I wrote. Were they doing those, the those microbots, of, yeah. uh, mod wheels, all kinds of books? <laughs> uh, mod uh, wheels. Boris
2: with Alex Toth. Yes, you worked with Alex Toth.
4: Wait, yeah.
0: Oh my god. What what is possibly the concept of Mod Wheels?
2: <laughs> it's exactly they like Hot Wheels except cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to have like cool cool outfits when you play with them. <laughs>
4: <Exactly>. Yes. <laughs> but the funny thing was, when I picked up Mod Wheels, the cast of characters was virtually identical to the cu- the cast of characters in Hot Wheels. So I made a couple of minor adjustments, <gasps> added the characters <laughs> who were missing, and just continued writing like it was the same book I'd been doing before. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It drove them crazy because uh, I knew the business better than they did, and the artists and such. Okay. And so I got the first issue of Mod Wheels in, and I said, "Oh, it's great! You know, you've got uh, Jack Abel's penciling for you guys." And they said, "No, that's 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 Sal uh, Trapani, who is Dick Giordano's brother, who was doing it." And I said, "No, no, no it's not. I, I, he's inking it, but it's being penciled by 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 Dick uh, by Jack Abel." And they said. I said, "Look, I'll bring Jack Abel in with me next week." <laughs> so I came in the next week and introduced them, and you know they understood. They looked at the work with Jack's own work. Oh, what's lovely? And they started hiring Jack on his own. <laughs> so I did the next issue of Mod Wheels, and. The art came in and I said, Oh, Jack Sparling's working for you now. And they said, No, oh, never mind. Bring him in. So, <laughs> so I brought Jack in, and then Jack Sparling started working for them. What? And then I got a phone call from South Japan, they're going, You're fucking me up. Stop it. And nice. I said, Stop hiring other pencilers. Drive yourself. That's what they're hiring. <laughs> you were getting all this ghost work. Yeah. That's awesome. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> they come to trust me. I was. I was. So that a, was like the. Was that the? That was like the tail end of Gold Key's. Yeah, it really idea. was. It was in, the, in their last like maybe five years. But they trusted me. I was designing covers for them. You know, sketches which were being painted by I just blanked on his name, but the wonderful painter who painted most of their oh, covers. yeah. Yeah. They I completely revamped movie. Star Trek because whoever had been writing it had never really watched the show, <laughs> and I watched the show and I said, no, no, they don't have. Spot ax, was constantly ax. crying. They don't have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, I got you know Star Trek. Online. This is this Kirk, is Star Kirk Trek. and Spock
2: rarely had sex with each other. <laughs> oh, no, I kept that. I thought that was interesting. Red but shirts not. are winning all the fights. Yeah, red, red, red shirts are coming back. It was a lot of work. And and they all went down. They're all. Hey, we're all wearing red for this album. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, the this the
4: rocket one, exhaust fine. does not come out of the. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <laughs> can hear you scream in space. Yeah,
4: <laughs> and I. Whatever I told them. I mean, it's it, fine. That's just So wait, it. did you go from Gold Key then to Marvel? I went from Gold Key back to D.C. I, one of the other reasons we were fired is that somebody had been stealing original artwork, and it was assumed, since we were the youngest guys there, Marv and I, that we were the only so ones would care about it.
2: And we all know who it is.
4: Yeah. <laughs> no, I <it> wasn't. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay. He did of that. It's, it's a good thing you yeah. didn't say that on Mike. I know. Mike. Yeah, he uh, did it at Marvel. No, it was, yeah. it was one of the old pieces. <laughs> <laughs> legendary
2: it, it, it was, it was un- unrecorded it. history
3: one of
4: the old editors at DC who was having an affair and was putting uh, the money oh, on the oh that you could oh. say on that. no, yeah. <laughs> no, no Gil- he wasn't no, fucking a corpse. a corpse yeah. <laughs> Gil-, Gil Kane was legendary he's yeah. gone now for stealing yeah. artwork because he was always in debt to somebody and behind were an you equal. there the
2: the time that, that Gil let us print it first
4: yes exactly <laughs> John <laughs> were and <poor>, God rest him <laughs> big bear man was in charge of production walks in to see uh, Gil sliding up an issue of something into his portfolio, and it hadn't been printed yet. It was Barry Smith. It was, Barry it
2: was Smith. a Barry Smith Conan.
4: And and and, <laughs> and John, who was a 6'8", an opposing man, looked at Gil and said, Gil, look, I understand your problems, and we're not crazy about what you're doing, but can we at least... Publish this one first? <laughs> <laughs> and go, oh, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs>
2: comics was such a more interesting industry back when it was all stationed in New York. Oh, God,
4: <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the Wild West. It, I, was. it was. I loved working in comics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we closed down more companies. Not like... We're still trying. Well, there was a famous day. I hired Jim Shooter as an assistant. Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to hell when I die. I've got it nailed. I understand. <laughs> and and uh, there was more dick measuring going on between me and Jim than anyone else in the business. And one day we're in... And this is just about the size of their dicks. <laughs> remarkably enough. One day we're in, in the production department right outside of my door as editor-in-chief. And we're Indian wrestling, Jim and I. You know, when you put your feet against is each a other. At Marvel. You you put your feet against one another's feet And you grab each other's arm And you try to throw each other off balance And the rest of the editorial staff had circled us They were all kind of watching what's going on And as we're doing this, all of a sudden We lurched to one side And we hit poor Roger Stern Who was not a large man Roger was a slight person
2: Jim is 8 foot 5 And
4: Roger got airborne Roger (laughs) got knocked off his teeth Sailed across the room Out the production room door To the wall, which was right across into the wall, stown, spread eagle out. At the precise moment Stan was leaving the office for the day. <laughs> so Stan doesn't break strides. Stan steps over Roger's subconscious <laughs> body, glances into the room, sees me <laughs> and Shooter still at, and goes, Stay alive, men, and goes home. <laughs> that, that that's one of my, my, my second favorite Marvel story is I was editor-in-chief, and I had come out to California for my first conventions, and I had gone to Disneyland for the first time. And I went, well, you can't come back and not give people gifts. So I had Mickey Mouse hats made up for the entire editorial staff, you know, with their name on the back stitched, and I handed them out that day. And so the entire production department was working, sitting there diligently doing the jobs, all wearing Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> who knew years later this would yeah. be it. the irony and, of it and Stan leaves to the day and Stan this was all you could hear it Stan goes past the door and you can hear the double take, almost like, what <laughs> and all of a sudden this happens and Stan looks in sees what's going on to confirm he had seen what he had seen and I go to tell him he says no don't tell me. I don't think I want to know. I just <laughs> left the office. <laughs> I leave the entire editorial staff sitting there with mouse ears doing oh that, thing. that was a, a DC we used to. Get, uh, Neil Adams got him to let us all work late when he was working because that's the only way Gil made his deadlines. Gil had the group, the crusty bunkers, as we were all called, who were his assistants. We'd fill in blacks and fill in stars. You, told, and you were one of the crusty bunkers, too? briefly. Oh my I, God. I was one of yeah. one of the, were you, and were you part of Manny Hands? No, no, no. Okay. I was one of the Cresting Bunkers briefly. Manny <laughs> you know, Hands was a Marvel version of And we would bunkers. all just work. And the, the DC editorial offices were on the same floor as the accounting department. So there's the loonies here and the business okay. people here. And we decided to start playing, I think it was Contact Wrestling. <laughs> and so we were all running around the office at three in the morning or something because we're all a little nuts at this point. You know, hiding behind other people's desks, and <laughs> and finally Neil and I met each other when we caught, and he started grappling, and the two of us were wrestling and trying to figure who's, and we lost our balance and went right through one of the cubicle walls, leaving oh an U-shaped hole. Jesus. <laughs> And which point we looked. Oh, it's four. We should go home. And, uh, we should just <laughs> measure our dicks and be done with yeah. it. <laughs> and and hurting people. And remarkably <laughs> enough, the following Monday there was a new meeting. Uh, the following Monday new edict was um, no one's allowed in the office after hours anymore. We don't know what happened. We don't think we want to know what happened, but we don't want it to happen again. DC
2: was always much more pranky than Marvel. When I was working at DC, I wasn't working at the office but I, when I was working for DC I would always hear these crazy stories when I was, I was writing uh, Gotham Central and Catwoman, uh-huh. I remember Shrek came back from a vacation and his entire office, like they had moved everyone else's furniture into his office and piled <laughs> it high so he opened his office door and that was it
1: <laughs> was
2: and he just was like oh, alright <laughs> and went over and saw that all the offices around him had nothing in them except a chair and a guy with a laptop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what's the atmosphere at the big companies these days? Uh, you guys can That's both speak to this. Sheer terror. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, they're real uh, businesses. You know? Yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, I mean, I haven't been out in a year. Uh, you know... But I, even working for them in the capacity that you do. I mean, you're still contracted the, to Marvel, right?
2: Uh, sort of. Um... <laughs> <laughs>
0: That doesn't sound complicated
2: Yeah, no, it, it's, I mean, I don't do as much work for them as I was a year ago or a couple of years ago I'm sort of, you know, getting to the point where, you know, I can't keep up the, the schedule And I have outside comics work that I'm pursuing that, that uh, I've been wanting to pursue for a long time And, you know, and so I'm sort of having to lighten my comics load to be able to do that because you You're not doing you drugs write. again, are you? <laughs> <laughs> only in comics yeah, um, <laughs> but you can't do five comics a month and and have time to write screenplays or TV pilots or or any of that stuff you know I mean've I've turned down a lot of work over the over the last you know five or six years and I've gotten to the point where I was kind of like well you know I'd like to actually pursue this stuff so you know I've basically lightened my load a lot um but the 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 i mean honestly the the tone at, I don't know I haven't been at dc for a while but I've talked to friends who work there and it doesn't sound like it's much different. They're putting out, you know, the, their editorial staffs are overburdened. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all handling, you know, it's the typical corporate thing. You know, you get rid of people to, and everybody else takes on more work. You do more for less. I mean, it's, Marvel's been there, you know, probably 10 times in its existence. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, five years from now, Marvel will have a lot more staff. And, you know, it's just, it's an ebb and flow with comics, it seems like. It always does. You know, people say comics are at this low point now, and I'm like, well, when I got into comics, comics were selling exactly what they're selling now, and then they went through this boom. And, you know, I mean, the best selling comics now are still selling better than the best selling ones in 1999. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I remember when. Because when of all Grant, the movies, you think? I, I think like just because like the culture I, I at large gives a bigger, a bigger shit. Yeah, I I, I don't know honestly why. I, I try not to think too far outside of my own books. Mm-hmm. But I just remember when I was working at DC, it was a huge deal when uh, Grant Morrison's first issue of JLA came out because it was the first book that they'd had that broke a hundred thousand in a certain mm-hmm. number of years. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. I had no clue. And you know, Marvel at that point had three or four books up near there. But I mean. Uh, I the the sense I get from you know my friends who work at DC is you know there's a, the editors are stressed out sales aren't as good as everybody would like them to be overall and you know it's it's a market that's constantly you know trying to put out new material and everybody trying to do the most sure. that they can with the least that they've got mm-hmm. so it's a tough industry you know but the great thing is like, Comics is still selling about the, what they were ten years ago. You can't sell mm-hmm. it, say that for books, you know. Like I think the fact that comics audience is so tied to the collectors market and people having grown up wanting these things, you know, the kind of comics that Marvel and DC publish that a lot of the other people publish, it's just not the same experience reading it on your iPad for mm-hmm. people, you know, of a certain age or older. Like mm-hmm. I, I read comics on my iPad if I can't find it or something and I really want to read that thing. But I don't feel the yeah. same sense of. You know, it's part of the, the paper part of comics is part of the enjoyment of yes. it. Yes. You know
4: and the smell of old paper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean I
2: love, you know, reading reading comics. It's one of the things I, I probably haven't gone a week in my life without reading a comic. <laughs> they do comic.
0: pile up though, don't they?
2: Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I've stopped keeping my monthly comics about twice a year I just get I just find friends who want That's to good. you know, I, but I've been doing that for like ten years now. I haven't been really I I, I collect the trade paperbacks and the hardbacks. You know, but I am a book collector. You know, I was raised by a book collector. I assumed as a kid that you went to anyone's house and all their walls were made of bookshelves full of books, because that was my house. You know, and I remember every time we had to move, my mom just cursing my dad. But you know, now I get it. It's like, oh yeah, moving's a huge hassle when you have mostly books. To They're move.
0: very, very heavy. Yeah. Uh, all right, I, I can't believe we're we're we've used up this much time already. Um, but we got to go down the line and talk about the things that. Let's face it. We're all here to talk about. Um, let's talk about the Venture Brothers.
2: I don't care for it uh, myself. I, I don't. I personally have. I find it distasteful. <laughs> it's just. I think gross. It, is, it is. I mean, uh, animation is where, so over. Yeah.
0: Where did this? Where did it's this not come from? It's the same from? on your iPad. No. no. Where it, it actually is. <laughs> yes, it is. Exactly. How did it, it looks great on the iPad. Actually. <laughs> oh, oh, cool. no. all right. uh, how did it develop? Uh, how did you guys sell it? Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, no. what was it how did it just was actually it was super easy to sell i have
3: to i mean i was uh either it was i wrote an awesome pilot script or uh my timing was it was a little of everything <laughs> like i i wrote i just I, it just kind of clicked with me I had dicked around with some notes for these characters for a long time um tried to start a couple of comic stories that started getting too long, and so I put them aside, because I was just supposed to do, like, six pages for an anthology my friends were doing. Um, And it would be, oh, this would be 18 pages and I will never draw it, you know? Um, And I'm not... I wasn't really good enough. Like, I had been out of practice, I think. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I had a bunch of notes, and then just, like, kind of one night, I just went, oh, wait a minute, this all kind of goes together. Like, I just... Put the two or three stories together and just started typing in Final Draft, and I like I, I banged it out in like four nights. And at the time, I was pitching something else with a friend of mine that was getting turned down slowly. And they were like, uh, "You have anything else?" And I went, "Yes, I have something way better than what I've been pitching to you." And then they read it and went, "Nah." Yeah, you know, they went, eh, "We think the retro thing would get old really fast." This was Comedy Central. Um, oh wow! And then. The Tick live-action series, like that pilot happened, like a kind of the same month as I did this thing. Like that, Ben got his call for that thing, and then it was like, let's all go do that together. So I kind of put it aside, and it almost got developed actually by. Uh, Will Vinton Studios. Weirdly oh enough. wow! Yeah. Wow! Like I, when I moved to LA to work on the Tick, like I got an agent and he's like, "All right, I'll try to sell your pilot thing on the side." And Will Vinton Studios optioned it, and I went out to Portland to visit them.
2: Were they going to do claymation?
3: No, they wanted to. Oh. Uh, they wanted to bust into CG. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, "No, I really see this as a really crappy-looking, like making fun of old Marvel cartoons kind of thing." But when I went up there and they showed me their CG reels, I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's way more subversive. Like, you know, the kind of bad on purpose thing already felt old to me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, if you could make it beautiful, but really mean-spirited and weird, (laughs) that would be great. So it was like, oh, yeah, let's make a gorgeous, weird, you know, dark show that's funny and put it on, like, HBO or something. We would make television history. And then that didn't happen. So,
1: um...
3: I just, I, I happened to pitch it to Adult Swim during a month when, you know, they had the money for three pilots that year, and they had greenlit two, and they hadn't found anything else they wanted to okay. make, and they were like, yes, we'll do it. I just, you know, sent it to them, and they called me and went, yeah, we want to do it. And I went, great, uh, and we don't really have any notes. And I was like, oh, okay, really? great. Even better. Yeah. So is yeah.
0: Yeah. So what we saw in the first episode or the pilot almost. pretty much what you wrote?
3: Uh, almost. Uh, well, yes. It's and it's all what I eventually wrote. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Doc came along at some point, too. Doc came along later. Um, he We were sharing a studio at the time. Like, I would just go there to draw because I lived in a one-bedroom apartment with a roommate. She had the living room. I had the bedroom. So, like, I needed a place to go work, and I just moved back from L.A., and I was pretty broke. So it was like... You know, 150 bucks a month or something to have a desk in a room with like six other people who are all gone now. It's Doc and I are still in that same space. Nope. everybody's gone. We, we smoked them out, like literally. Um,
2: smoked them out. Yeah.
3: So I mean, yeah, about a week so many before ways we started. Yeah, yeah, if, uh, all of it. Um, not the pot way, no, no. Um, but we literally smoked too many cigarettes and uh, frightened them with our weird relationship
1: are, are just constant
3: C- clicking with each other in, in the best of ways but um, a week before we started production on the pilot uh, I got a call and it was Mike Lazo the head of Adult Swim was finally involved and so uh, he went yeah I'm reading your new thing and uh, second act super gay ass <laughs>
2: was, he said,
3: was super was kind of yeah, That's the kind of note I get from <laughs> him, which is note. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because and uh and he's the only person Did who ever gave us sentence?
2: notes. <laughs> you no, know, it was like there were a, a couple lot of scenes. moments. He's like, I love
3: you know you you got me. I love the first act. I'm, I'm with you. It's all great. And then second act, just get super gay ass." <laughs> uh, <laughs> So like,
1: yeah. So
2: I tried to get
3: him to, you know
2: I have never gotten that note.
1: No, no but no that's way. I
3: wish What's I had notes. that's, that's, yeah, that's exactly. the only note you get from him. Like he goes, Yeah, you had me, you lost me, this part sucks. And so he leaves you to figure it out. He's not a he was never a guy who was like, No, do this, you know, or take this stuff out. So I had to uh, I had to punch it up like a week before we started production, and that was no big deal. Uh, There was, like, a very frightening moment in that conversation where he's like, yeah, I just just don't see a half-hour show here. This is more like one of our 11-minute ones. And, like, like I was told later that, like, the... You know, the development person who brought me in was like panicking. I was like, I, uh, I thought we were about to make, and she was apparently holding up a sign to him that said, "We
1: made a deal. The contract
0: is for half an hour." You know. Uh, so, what? Yeah, what did they have on at that time? Because that was sort of.
3: It was really. It was really early. I guess they had. um, Yeah, they didn't. the only half hour stuff they had was 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 stuff they had acquired. So I guess (laughs) home movies would have been Uh, on at the time, and then. God, I don't even know if they were running like Family Guy reruns yeah. yet, which are still the best-rated thing on that network. Pisses me off so much that like everything new they make, the biggest hit that they have yeah. that they is created there doesn't do as well as like the fifteenth <laughs> rerun of Family Guy, yeah. whatever season nine. So, yeah, yeah. So, oh, but it's uh, yeah, That I mean, was a very easy process developing it, and so uh,
2: Family it's either guy is uh, Cartoon Network's Watchmen.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so do, yeah. So I'm gonna do before Family Guy. That's my next thing.
3: I mean, I mean, spoiler. I'm, guy. Staff,
0: a I'm guy.
2: staffing up. That's why I'm in LA. Um, but what
0: you about guys
2: are Before still... they had that kid with the weird shaped head. <laughs> what happened then?
0: You guys are still sort of an outlier on the network though, and not just because it's a half hour show, but because you know it's not an extended sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys, it's a well-plotted show. It's a well-structured show. Oh. Uh, what goes into, you know, making an episode, or or at least the early stages of putting together an episode?
3: Holy crap! Um, this <laughs> a, I,
0: you don't live here. This is the only chance I, I get to what, talk yeah, to you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, I'm in the middle of one right now. Like I was writing <laughs> one before I came here. Where uh, we're like we're nine. We're on the ninth script of a ten script order and we are about two weeks late with it and it's supposed to be our premiere episode because we never write the premiere episodes first ah. for whatever reason we, we want to be hot we want to be loose whatever uh, and so we've been writing all this crap with all these weird changes to the characters that nobody working on the show understands they're like so this character looks like this now and you're, yeah we'll explain it in the premiere you know, um, and now we're trying to figure out how to do that because we're like, oh, you know, just writing the story of what happens the day after the finale and explaining all this crap we've been doing all this year for the first time. That's not a story. So, like, I'm actually kind of wrestling with the idea of what makes an episode right now again. But um well, good, take it apart. Let uh, normally, it, say- it starts with uh, uh, just a, some weird compulsion, you know. <laughs> just like oh i really just want to do something you know just random stuff that clicks with you and you go i want to make that joke mm-hmm. and then you build a whole episode <laughs> around it and then you throw that joke out yeah that always happens yeah because yeah. it I never throw feels out three that scenes way. in every episode yep. that i write because we always i There's throw out a good 15 pages of stuff wow. for every episode yeah. I, wow. I always have this little runoff file and so the three scenes are always the uh flight in the X1 to the adventure always goes. The um, the post-credits like epilogue scene always goes and whatever the last scene was gets bumped there because I run out of time and the whatever the joke scene that made me want to write the episode was. So, cool. Of course. yeah.
0: So uh, how, how does out. how out. But
3: to write it all before I cut right. it. It's, oh, absolutely. That part sucks.
0: The um, the commentary tracks uh, mm-hmm. on—I I only watched the first season, but are a fantastic look. <laughs> No, I only watched the commentary track. Listen to the commentary <laughs> track from the first season. Uh, but they're, they're a terrific look at how the show is put together and oh, what you no, guys—they really, really are. No, they no. really are. No, Doc yells
3: at me every time yeah. I start talking about like the process. Like he just wants to talk about li- shit that happened to us when we were kids or <laughs> body but hair I feel like or that, you know okay. movies we like.
0: And know. this is going to be. This is what I was gonna ask, is like this is your dynamic mm. and it clearly fuels the show. Yeah, yeah. I how mean that's how episodes together. get written yeah.
3: too. Like we never we are the least professional writers. It's just the two of, you it's the just the two of us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so, awesome. so we we've all even South Park has like three other dudes. Yeah. I hear
2: that now, but I, I feel like those guys well, are probably just Trey, really all over there. <laughs> well, a friend of mine is on the is on the writing staff, or, or I don't know if he was this season, but he was the mm-hmm. last few. But it's really like a writing room where they all sit around and kick around ideas, yeah, and then yeah. Trey really writes. Yes. And bi- yeah, Bill yeah, yeah, Bill Hader was, Hader, was doing that because
3: yeah. he he did some voices for us, and he was telling us. Oh yeah, it. yeah, that's how I know. Yeah, yeah. So our writers' room is us uh, <laughs> never ever having. Official writers meetings like, <laughs> This season actually is the closest we've come Like we, we actually wanted to Kind of plot out our bigger Stories we knew we had two seasons and we we're like Let's do some big stuff like what, we, what do we keep forgetting to do in other Seasons like who haven't we What characters haven't we used in a while What do you want to accomplish where do you want The main characters to be at the end of this season And then what will that do for next Season like we have actually It's weird that we actually plotted A lot of it <laughs> yeah. out and that we managed to funnel it into all these stories that have nothing to do with it. Just because we were riffing on something and went, that's a story. And it has <laughs> nothing to do with our whole arc. But we'll figure out a way to squeeze one little
2: kernel into Dude, you have to do it, the so. before Family Guy episode of
0: it. <laughs> 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 doesn't have any episodes um, left.
2: <laughs> well, Still. Get an extra one It's
3: special
0: um, yeah. <laughs> uh, when, when does the show when does the next season premiere? Uh, January Jan- Oh yeah.
3: wow we, ju- we like just shipped The first or second one To Korea Okay. But um, I don't know If I'm supposed to tell uh, we, we will have we can one We on, later if we're, can. D- We will have a Halloween special On there oh, But the rest of the season Will be Nice Yeah
0: Cool January. Good We look forward to it um, Ed We're going to talk about Captain America Oh we are? Yeah we are Because okay. I fucking love it Oh, thank you. Uh, it it really it got me back into comic books. Uh, it's I love the stories. I love the way you tell them. You're you know dipping into the rich history but making it your own. Uh, what was your approach to this character? How did you even come to get involved with this character? Because you've been writing it now for some time too. Almost
2: eight years. You can't years. hate it. No, I don't hate it at okay. all. <laughs> um, I mean, there are days when it feels like a job, but mostly it's been a, a good job. You good. know, um, it was a situation where I was leaving DC. Um, they had fucked with us on Gotham Central, and and, and uh,
0: Did you guys read Gotham Central? Oh my God!
2: Right, so good. I, I was not leaving like unamicably, but it was clearly like I'm gonna go try and be somewhere else for a while. Like I'd had a good run, I'd done some stuff I liked, but uh, Dan DeDio had 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 screwed me a couple times, right in the face. <laughs> at least he doesn't do it in the back, um, and I respect him for it. He had his—he had his—you know—he was the—he was the vice president of the company. He wanted to do some stuff, but I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go do some books at Marvel then. And and Brian Bendis is one of my oldest friends, and knew that I was not going to be staying on a contract at DC, and I was still going to be doing Gotham Central and i finishing up a Sleeper, but he knew I was—I was, I was going to go freelance, and so he called me up. And he said, "What do you want?" And I said, "Well, the only book that I..." You know, because he's like, I'll, I'll call Joe tomorrow and tell him, like, this is what you're interested in. And I said, well, the only book I really would like to write is probably Captain America or Iron Fist. They're never going to do an Iron Fist book. <laughs> and um, and Captain America had just uh, gotten a new writer who was doing a bunch of stuff. And he said, oh, no, that guy just quit because of <laughs> something. And, and so they got, Robert Kirkman's going to do, like, like, four issues. And then they're looking for a new guy. And I was like, oh, well. Oh, we'll never let me do what I want to do, and he's like, well, "What do you want to do?" I'm like, "I want to bring Bucky back," and, and he was like, "Oh, well,
1: <laughs> let,
2: let me talk to Joe." He didn't see that coming yeah, at all. <laughs> and, and he talked to—he called up Joe, and you know, Joe called me up and he said, "Hey, that's great. You want to bring Bucky back?" He's like, "We just had a huge fight about that at the last editorial retreat. Axel and I really want to bring him back. Tom won't hear of it." He's like, "If you convince Tom Brevort to to do it, you, you can that's do hilarious. it." And so, yeah, that was just. I'd always, uh, you know, this is, I'm such a comic nerd. This is the kind of, my my justification for being able to do it. This isn't like bringing back Gwen Stacy. This isn't like bringing back Uncle Ben. Those people died in continuity. Hmm. Bucky was the first retcon. (laughs) I was like, when I was like eight years old, Captain America and and Bucky were like my favorite characters. I went to my first San Diego Comic Con when we lived in San Diego And I had all the Captain America issues. I had all the Tales of Suspense. And I had issue 101 or 100 of Captain America, which was really the first issue of the modern Captain America. But I, for some reason, assumed that there was an issue 99 of Captain America that came out in the 40s, where Cap and Bucky got captured by Zemo and blown (laughs) up. And that never fucking happened. Like, Bucky was in Captain America comics until the 50s, and then when Jack wanted to bring Cap in in the Avengers, Stan was like, yeah, but I don't want to have a kid sidekick. And so they came up with this story where Bucky got blown up and that was like the retcon and I was like as a kid, I was like, wait. It didn't happen in a Marvel comic in continuity? Well, then it didn't happen. And so, like, my my whole life from, like, age eight, I always thought, if I ever get Captain America, I'm bringing Bucky back. And, and you know, so it was literally the most comic nerdy kind of... Yes. But, but you know, to Tom Brevoort's credit, he made me come up with a good story for it. It wasn't just that, you know, Bucky was in the next block of ice over. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it and
0: became a fascinating character, too. He's, I mean, he's it,
2: literally uh marvel's most popular character since wolverine and deadpool wow okay. as far as new the winter soldier that's wild like, to think that you could bring bucky back and not only have people accept it but kind of love it he i mean we're doing a monthly series of the winter soldier now and you know it's it's kind of amazing but the roots of that character came from me and tom brevoort talking about those old captain america comics from the 40s where every cover was like Cap and Bucky parachuting behind enemy lines and Cap's got his shield up and he's deflecting gunfire from below and Bucky's sitting there with a fucking machine gun like firing and with a big grin on his face.
3: I (laughs) am 16! This
2: is a metaphor. He actually looked like he was like 9 at the time on the comics. I moved him up to 16. Suck it Robin! Yeah. 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 There was an issue of like the young allies where Bucky, where Bucky is like like, like got a flamethrower in one hand and like his, and like Toro's dropping an atom bomb on somebody I'm just like the cover of the comic and and so these guys when people would like tell me well Captain America never used a gun and I'm like are you fucking kidding me when the comic was actually aimed at children and aimed as a propaganda tool there's an issue of Captain America where he picks up a stationary machine gun which you know you have to. Not a, hum- a human being couldn't pick it up. Captain America picks it up, puts it on his shoulder, and kills 300 Japs. <laughs> which he called them Japs, which is why I'm saying it that way. <laughs> Take that Tojo, who I think was actually on the page, you know, maybe even suck it. <laughs> but literally, this is what the comics were actually coming out at the time. I'm like, no, he used a gun in like every fucking sure. issue in the 40s, actually. He only stopped using a gun when, when you know, in the 60s, after post comics code. Sure. That's fascinating. You know, but what kind of super soldier doesn't kill the enemy? He's, yeah,
0: I mean, and that's, that's that's what I
2: love in the movies—he's yeah. actually like, you know, using a gun and a machine gun. Is that. It's like, of yeah. course he would. He's not gleefully killing people like he, <laughs> like he actually was in the 40s. <laughs> he's, not the <laughs> he's not the Punisher. He's not the Punisher. Not a
4: psychopath. He's not a
2: psychopath. But but yeah, it was just always a character that I you know I think because I grew up on military bases, but I'm a fairly you know left-leaning person. I felt like you know I, I kind of liked that Captain America was a guy who sort of idolized FDR and yet spent most of his adult life in the military. I thought he would not view anything from one extreme or the other and and sort of be able to remove himself from those kind of political situations. Mm-hmm. And, and just a character I kind of thought was cool and, and wanted right. to you know, do.
0: And, and you're... Uh, is there an end in sight to the story? Yeah. Is, do you... Oh, okay? So you kind of know the story you set out to tell over these
2: ten years. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I, you know, like Frank Miller said he should have left after he did that issue of Daredevil where Matt Murdock digs up Elektra's grave and finds that she's still dead. Like he, should, he, he said, if he'd had balls, he would have left then. And I think you know, there's times where I've thought, oh, I should leave after this storyline, or I should leave after that storyline. But I just keep staying because I don't want to let anybody else do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can't stay forever. And you know, there's there's definitely you know, uh, there, there's there's a, 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 fi- a final issue that that I will write at some point sure. in the nearest fu- in the near future. Um, but uh, you know, it's it'll it'll. It's weird. I mean, I've been doing it for almost eight years. Yeah.
1: So that's a, that's a
2: long ass. I mean, Grunwald, I think, is the only person who's written more than me, and I'll never defeat him. Like he's he did like 150 issues. I wouldn't wow. even want to try to write that many. But um, It's been a great. That's gig. It's like ten John Burns. Yeah, fuck, yeah. yeah. suck it, Burn. Um, <laughs> but uh, literally, it is. I mean, it's been a great gig, and it's just weird to be basically given utter freedom on on that book. Cool. You know, I've never had an editor say, "Oh, you can't do this or you can't do that." Other That's than amazing. that, oh, you can't kill Hawkeye because he's in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, right, he's in the Avengers
0: now.
1: <laughs> now that
2: you guys give well,
0: it let two me more years. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We have so much to talk about and uh, I want to be able to get to questions, but uh, yes. in looking at this uh, Roots of the Swamp Thing collection, yes. it has a nice introduction by Len, uh, in which you talk about uh, the creation of Swamp Thing coming from a very personal place. Do you recall that? Yes, vaguely. Uh, <laughs> tell us about the creation of that character.
4: No, was, well. The story itself, I came up with on the subway on my way to the office. <laughs> I was... Do a mystery stories for Joe Orlando <laughs> at the time, and the idea just came to me on the train. Mm-hmm. And Joe bought it, and, we and had what was what was that basic idea like that you went in and told them? Well, I, I, that's what I would do. I'd, I'd show up once or twice a week with ideas and go, "How about this one?" He go, "Yes." How about this one? Go, Two yes. words, swamp thing. Yeah. Well, it, actually, it got Something's its name <laughs> from from the obvious. I kept re- well when I got the assignment. I kept referring to that story as that swamp thing I'm working on. <laughs> that's how it got named. I like, that's literally how it got named.
2: That's how that '70s show got named.
4: <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, but you know, I, I got the idea approved, and I was at a party that weekend. I went on. I went in Lake Grunconkaba at Mars' housewarming. You know, and. Bernie Wrightson, who's a buddy, had just broken up with a girlfriend of his and he was all melancholy. And I said, You know, I just want a story that's kind of about romance and stuff and people's relationships. And he said, Really, tell me about it. And I told him that story. He said, Oh, I want to draw that. I said, Be my guest. Uh, I don't imagine Joe's going to say no. And Joe went, <laughs> Gee, best
2: artist yes. in comics. Yeah. Please draw my story. Yes. And, and you so, are welcome to. Yes, exactly.
4: So that's how we got to go ahead. And the book sold like a son of a bitch. It outsold wow. everything else that month. It also And that was super in the book. days
2: when they just shipped a ton and they gauged sales based on how many got returned,
4: right? Yeah. That's but so it was awesome. the best-selling book that outsold everything. I wish else we had that day. what do you what think, think people responded to in that book? I, well, the emotional aspect of it. it had a great I think. cover too. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was that was Wheezy. God bless her on the yeah. cover back. Uh, in. Yeah. <sighs> there wasn't the mail in comics You didn't have the hats for Louise Simonson <laughs> The Helen Mirren of comics Yes yeah, she was <laughs> But uh, you know, the book sold so well They came back to us and said well, We'd like to do a regular monthly book And Bernie and I were you know, in our early 20s And full of integrity <laughs> uh, And we said no no, no We don't, we don't want to spoil the story It's a great story If we do another one We'll, we'll, we'll take away what makes this one special and it took me a year for me to go, or we could just start all over again, all right. which is what finally happened. On a Saturday morning, I woke up and went, wait, we don't have to do a sequel. Let's just start from scratch and do the same sort of thing with a new story. Hmm. And so I called Joe Orlando on the weekend and said, when I... Why didn't you I f- guys do that with Before Watchmen? <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're not helping me at all. You know? I'm sorry. I'm stepping and on the, your story. <laughs> yeah.
4: And so I, uh, Joe said, that sounds great. I said, let me call Bernie and see if I can talk him into it. And I called Bernie and he said, oh, yeah, that would work. That was and a year? A year. What and is this? and uh, we called Joe back and said, okay, we're cool. he said, great, round on the schedule. Let's get going. Oh and God. we did. That's hilarious.
0: And did you ever feel, I mean, sort of the same question of
4: you were going to run out of stories with this character? Well, I, I've run out of stories with almost every character I've ever written, I except imagine. Batman. I, I, could, I could have stayed on Batman until I died. Wait, mm-hmm. Eddie, you're issues? shaking your head. How many,
2: no, I'm just, oh. how many issues of Batman did you write? Oh, I don't
4: know. I, uh, about three or four years worth. Wow. Uh, and then I edited the book for another four or five years after that.
2: Why did you leave Swamp Thing?
4: Uh, well, when Bernie left, Ber- Bernie... was you know, it's Funny enough, it all comes back to women. Everything was back to women. Uh, Bernie was dating a a, a young woman after the fact who was convincing him that it was all his reason the book was successful. I had little to do with it. And I got sick. And so she allowed him to take the opportunity to go in and go, I'll I'll, I'll do the next issue by myself to keep it going. Because that way he could prove it was all him. This is where
2: freelancer paranoia comes from. Never get sick.
4: And I, you know, I got sick. I got well much quicker than, than they expected. And I said, well, it's a lovely story, except, and the editor and me even then went through a long list of everything he'd gotten wrong. Oh, wow. And Joe agreed with me. I said, look, there's still time for me to rewrite it. I'll change the story. But Bernie was so embarrassed that he left the book. Oh. And without him, I was not having as much fun. I, I got out. Uh, I just blanked on his name. Oh, shame on me. Uh, he's in there. The guy who, who wrote through the other three, Esteban Moroda. Oh, art, yeah. Whatever. Beautiful artwork. The art was great, but I just wasn't having quite the same fun. And so after three issues, I said, you know, maybe I should just go to. And so I left the book. And the nicest thing that ever happened was Paul Levitz coming to me after the fact and said, I just want you to know, I went through the figures. When Bernie left the book, the sales didn't drop one copy. When you left the book, they plunged. Wow. Wow. And I went, Wow. So I was responsible. <laughs> well, <no>.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you were the king, man. Well, I just assumed, I mean, come on, me, Bernie Wrightson, doing what he was doing. I guess
2: that, that was the weirdest comic coming out then. Yeah. And it was like, it was, I, you know, it's one of those things. I remember when I was getting into comics as a teenager, when you could go to comic book stores and get back issues, those were like prized things that you had to hunt down. That and like the uh, Marshall Rogers, Englehart, Batman's. Sure. And they were all these short runs, and I always kept thinking, why the fuck did these guys quit? <laughs> these were great. I assumed that they didn't sell, you know. But then they were apparently amazing selling. They, they the, sold well. I, I, now I get it. Well, like because you know when Lark left Gotham Central, you know we kept doing it for a while, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah. You know when you have that synergy I, I, with I, an artist, I it's I had the rare, best time you know? with
4: Bernie. We we we'd finish each other's sentences. The funny thing is too, you're talking about uh, the Engelberg Rogers Batman. I took yeah. over for Engelberg. Yeah. Uh, that's what they lured me back In fact, to D.C., they gave me that book And I did the first two issues The only two issues Jim I did with, No, with Marshall Didn't you do some Jim Apparo? Oh, I did there? a lot of stuff with Jim later on yeah, You but, did uh, uh,
2: Batman Murderer
4: Yes, that murderer That well, was my, I also first, did the my end, first
2: Batman comic the, <laughs> the, the,
4: the, untold, the Untold Origin of the Batman I did with Jim as well Oh, I love that everything. one, yeah But the funny thing was After two issues, I got called into Joe Orlando's office And I said, what's up? And he said, I don't know how to tell you this But, uh Marshall doesn't like your scripts. <laughs> he really is not doing, you know, and I went, oh, great, I've come, I've quit all the top books at Marvel, I've come back to DC <laughs> to do this book, I'm about to get my ass fired on it. And I said, "So, so, so, what do we do now?" He says, "I don't know. Who do you want to replace him with?" <laughs> and I went, "What?" He wow. says, wow. "No, no. You're you're writing the book. If he's got a problem, he's leaving, not you." Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> wow. And so I went, "Thank you, career." And and <laughs> yeah, went on from there. It was odd. Uh, let's uh, before we turn up, we're gonna have
0: time for like one question. I'm sorry, guys. Will you all come back if we have these guys back? <laughs> all right. Uh, not you. Uh, no, no. Planning around your schedule. I'll see you. uh, let's talk about Wolverine. The, okay, creation, the creation of, and then uh, the
4: new X Men also. Uh, the new X Men was an idea that came before Wolverine, what? weirdly enough. There had been a lot of discussion in the Marvel offices about the fact that a lot of the titles were selling very well in various countries overseas. And somebody thought maybe if we did a book aimed at these countries, we'd sell even better. So for months and months, there was discussions around the office of bringing back the X-Men, which had pretty much flopped, Mm -hmm. as an international team of superheroes, and having heroes from the countries where the books were selling. when I was asked to do Wolverine, and that was from Roy Thomas, Roy, I was doing Brother Voodoo at that point among things, and they were all set in, in the Caribbean, and I like to write <laughs> accents, so they all had Caribbean accents.
2: Did you create Brother
4: Voodoo? Yes. Oh, Not shit. the name, everything but the title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything but the title. What would you have called him? Barry Voodoo <laughs> Just brother uh, is
2: a little yeah. little. Uncle Voodoo <laughs> We changed him to Doctor Voodoo yes, Which uh, I thought was ridiculous <laughs>
4: Doctor Voodoo, Voodoo Doctor yeah. <laughs> Which Doctor, that doctor over there. Which okay. Doctor okay. Yeah. But uh, Roy wanted to see how he would do a Canadian accent He said I have a name Wolverine, come up with a character to go with it I'd like to see you write a Canadian accent So I did research Uh, Wolverine, short, furry creatures with razor-sharp claws and incredible tempers will take on creatures ten times their size. (laughs) I went, that's easy. And there's the character. Uh, I decided to make him a mutant on the off chance. Someone else who who ever ended up with the X-Men book would have a a Canadian mutant if they wanted to use one. Wow! I didn't know it was going to be me at that (laughs) point. I actually thought it was going to be somebody else. but. They offered me the 7 that was the annual? Oh, about six months, eight months. Oh, okay, months, so the somewhere. same year. Okay. I think it was. And that's how Wolverine ended up in X-Men. And the rest of them came from a book that Dave Cockrum, God rest him, uh, had. He used to love designing characters. So he had these notebooks for all characters he designed. And we said, well, let's sit down with the notebook. Maybe we can find appropriate characters. Oh, wow. So we found Storm... And Colossus and Nightcrawler and Thunderbird and a couple of others we all thought would be great characters, and went ahead with the book. Book came out, at which point it dawned on us the whole idea originally was to find characters from countries where the books were really similar. No one had ever told us what countries those were. <laughs> so we had simply made up whatever countries worked Turns for out us. Transylvania <laughs> It it, it worked for us and we just did whatever we thought was right That's
0: hilarious Um, right, let's take a couple of questions From you guys, if you have a question Come down to the aisle and I will give you the microphone I will hold the microphone to your head Don't trust you
4: people with electronics
0: Keep your questions brief, please Uh, Yes or no questions Yes or no questions are always good (laughs) Uh, Does anyone have questions? True or false, yeah, we'll
2: take that Ah, on, one Truth there. or dare we will do. Oh, we could do
0: multiple choice. Wait, I can do multiple do. choice. Oh, I like multiple yeah. choice. Yeah.
2: yeah, multiple choice. Let me uh, all all it. of
0: you. Have a thousand dollars instead of numbers. Uh, just
4: uh, <laughs> for, for everyone, because uh, you had mentioned before that
2: you were cutting back on your workloads to work on other scripts and things for other me- mediums. What is everyone working on besides what you're currently working on?
0: That's a great question. Yeah, I, I'm glad you got to it. Thank you.
4: What are you guys working on? Len, start with uh, you. Uh, well, aside from and Dias and the Crimson Corsair, I'm writing episodes of Ben 10, the animated series. Wow. A show I love. I've done like seven of them so far. And I'm also writing for the new Beware of the Batman, uh, CG animated series that starts wow. on uh, Cartoon Network, not this fall, but next fall, I think, because CG takes some time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing all those things. I'm also doing a story for this year's Doctor Who annual. Oh wow For uh, ADW You love accents Huh? You love accents I, Well it's not, <laughs> This was a weird case uh, Somebody a couple of weeks ago asked me Is there ever a character you haven't written you wanted to And I said to the them no I guess not And then afterwards I said oh that's not true I love Doctor Who I'd love to do a Doctor mm-hmm. Who story And at Anaheim at WonderCon I'm having dinner with Joe Hill and some of the folks made IDW. And, and Joe looks at me and says, The same question, is there any character uh, you've ever not written that you would like to write? And I said, Yes. And he said, Who? I said, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> My God. And the great part oh, was what, what, Which character? <laughs> <laughs> the great part was that. Uh, brother Who. <laughs> <laughs> brother Who. <laughs> great answer. <Brother laughs> who The Who Brother? <laughs> Chris Ryle, who's one of the editors at IDW, looked at me and said, You know, we can make that happen. And I okay, said, like, really? He <laughs> said, yeah. You are, I said, yes. So I'm doing a story for the annual. That's I cool. my favorite title ever. It's called In Fez Station. In Fez Station. <laughs> yes, if you're watching this show. Nice. Yeah, because fezes are cool.
0: Uh, Brubaker, what are you working on? I am
2: uh, just finishing up uh, the screenplay adaptation for coward which was the first criminal book. Um that Yay. I read it thanks. last night. It was great. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I read that whole fucking hardcode. <laughs> oh, awesome. Wow. Oh thanks. Yeah, David Slade is uh, attached to direct that, and I just hung out with him the other night to make sure he still is, and he is, Um, because he's directing the pilot for Hannibal pretty soon. Um, Yes, indeed. uh, And I've got a couple of TV things that are too early to really talk about, um, and writing Fatal for Image for Sean Phillips. Um, Thank you. That's, like, our best-selling thing that we've ever done. It's totally crazy. It's like we're overnight success after 12 constant years of putting out material. Um, And uh, doing The Winter Soldier at Marvel, which is, you know, pretty soon will be my only monthly, you know, mainstream comic. Um, And I'm developing some other creator-owned stuff and really just kind of getting... I think, you know, Len Len will probably confirm concur with this. Uh, the work for hire grind of comics and the production schedule of it. It just start, it wears you down over time. I don't have anything against it. You know, I I've had great experiences at Marvel and DC with editors and artists and and, you know, it's it, it pays wonderfully, you know, compared to not getting paid to write. Yes, Um it, it pays a lot better than working at a bookstore, which is what I was doing when I started, you know, writing comics. And I'm pretty much incapable of doing anything but telling stories. So, um, you know, conveniently, you know, we're at a time period when comics is is read by pretty much all of pop culture. So um, really just kind of... I, I'm not, I have no plans to quit comics. I just, you know... I've, I've I've come to a point where I feel like I don't want to do a whole heck of a lot of the, the the monthly grind on the work for hire stuff, and and you know conveniently don't need to. I mean I certainly wouldn't wouldn't piss on it. You know I, I it's I, it's done quite well for me, but I just you know want to pursue some other opportunities before sure. I get too old to.
0: Hey, Good. <laughs> Good. great. Uh, Chris, what are you working on Uh,
3: besides this episode? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly.
0: Kind of nothing.
3: Before Family Guy, obviously, (laughs) that's our thing. Nothing official. Yeah, I. I, uh, We've talked about some (laughs) stuff. That's about as far as everything. We're in the
0: very early stages of talking about things. Some
3: friends of mine and I accidentally made up what might be an awesome like AMC drama thing. The other night like somebody made a joke and went no but for real that could totally work so like maybe when we get done I can't tell you okay no okay. but uh that's the next I don't know so show. maybe when we're done like right now like I direct the show about 10 hours a day and then I go home and write so when I'm done writing I'll get a weekend off maybe
2: <laughs> Is that why you're uh,
3: and then you're maybe I'll yeah like we're recording
0: oh, cool. You know, ah. the
3: LA based actors uh, oh, awesome. this week so okay.
0: good well we look yeah, forward so to maybe the season and to the next I don't time. know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, please give a round of applause to our panelists Jackson Public, Ed Brubaker and Len Wein thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and to Eighty Six la and to Dan Byrne for doing our team song coming
1: now leaving nerdist.com